Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday, on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam Amy. To be able to bring people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is stop talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Was right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. It's <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial, you're one with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. Is that rocket science? I have tampered with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick here, as always, national writer on the NBA at the Athletic. We've got plenty to get into, as always. Uh, this dude named Stephen Curry has burst on the scene. Uh, Golden State Warriors player might have heard of him, had himself an evening last night reminding people who he is and what he is about. We're going to talk about Bradley Beal, the guy who has somehow been a little bit under the radar as a trade prospect Wizards guard amid all the James Harden talk that uh, that that he's kind of still not necessarily floating out there, but a guy that is an incredibly intriguing prospect for a lot of teams. We're going to go around the league, talk about the first couple of weeks of this incredibly strange season. I am here yet again with two guys who are doing it very well. Going out west first, we got Anthony Slater, esteemed Warriors beat writer. Slater, what's up, brother? First back-to-back of the year, Sam. There it is. You got it in you? Yeah, I think so. You know, I think I can handle uh, half of the time covering the NBA from my couch or an empty arena. But I can handle <laughs> Yeah, we're going to get into that a little bit today, the weird Zoom life for reporters like us and and uh, and how strange it is. Uh, going out east, yet again, Fred Katz, not just the Wizards beat writer, he is proving to be incredibly well-versed in all things round ball. Fred, what's up, brother? I'm wiping off the couch sores in order to come on this podcast, so I appreciate it. <laughs> That's the thing, guys. So we're going to jump into Steph first. Um, it's funny because, you know, listen, same old thing I say every time Steph goes off. You know, being based in Northern California, having enjoyed greatly the uh, covering the Warriors run during their dynasty, and, uh, you know, and as a reporter – it was it was a great time where it's like uh, very good access with that Warriors team, proximity to where I live, uh, plenty of material to get into, uh, a cast of human beings that I've enjoyed greatly. Like you know, we say all the time, we don't root for teams. We kind of, but you do kind of enjoy people, uh, and you're okay. It's okay to say that. And so the Warriors run was a lot of fun to cover. Then they fall off the cliff. Then you just got these devastating injuries. Uh, if you fast forward to last night, for me, it was the first time. Obviously, I wasn't there. I shouldn't say, obviously I could have gone. I, I wasn't there. I was home and I'm watching on our, our big projection screen in the old living room. And it's been a while since, uh, the Amick house, you know, kind of came to a stop and everybody was like, Oh boy, Steph's doing Steph things, you know, and even the, the two sons I have who are not all that engaged on the NBA, that's one thing that, that can get their attention. You know, when that guy goes out and does his thing, it's pretty magical. 62 points, 18 of 31 shooting, 8 of 16 from long range. All that damage done in, in 36 minutes. Well, also, the free throw uh, line. Mention the free throw line. That was that. That's free throw stunning. line coming in at 18 of 19. And, and a guy, 
Yeah, yeah. 19 free throw attempts for a guy who does not get to the line 19 right. times. Usually. That's what I was going to say. He, he, I mean, as great as Steph has been for so long, and then Slater, you know, naturally will throw it to you first. But, it, you know, getting to the line continues to be something that, you know, whether he, he constantly thinks he's not getting calls or he just hasn't mastered the art like a James Harden type. Um, that's not a huge part of his game. So you're right. That is a, a bit of a, an outlier, but, but overall, what did you think? I saw you last night. We were hanging on the post game zoom call. So we got Steph's thoughts, but, uh, you've seen this, this act before. So, there was a lot of people on the zoom suddenly last night. I was like, Oh, usually, you know, 13 people on here. Suddenly <laughs> Rachel we got about Nichols jumping yeah, on. Yeah. Rachel Nichols. I was like, <laughs> Oh yeah, I guess he did something. The Warriors are relevant again. Um, you know, I, it's, it was an interesting buildup to the game um, because, all, you know, there's I think we, we pay too much attention to some of the online chatter that's going on there. And we act like it's representative of the world and the world has Steph Curry's legacy on the line right now. When in reality, it's like 45, just like, you know, high engaged Twitter people that have it. And like maybe Channing Fry makes a comment that that angers some of the Warriors fan base. Um, you know, Damian Lillard had a quote that wasn't even really ridiculous, but it was just basically talking about, oh, see, you know, shots are harder to come by than they have been the last four to five years, which is correct. They have been for Steph. Um, but Steph is kind of, you know, we talk about sitting in the background of the zooms. Steph kind of sits in the background of the Twitter conversation <laughs> about himself. Yeah. He, you, we, we don't know him to be, you know, like Kevin Durant. He's going to come at you on Twitter. You know, we know those guys in the league. Steph Curry's oh, never going to do that. Yeah, right. Kevin or Steph Curry's never going to do that. He's not going to DM. He's not going to let you give you the satisfaction of knowing that he's following the conversation. But he's following the conversation, um, and they're struggling. You know, they're two and three, and really, the, it, it was worse than two and three. They had the worst point differential in the league going into last night. Um, and they were three blowouts, right? Christmas blowout, opening night blowout, then Blazers blowout at home in the home opener. Um, and you had the baseball series with the Blazers coming back into Chase Center. And it just built up to like, I knew right away, you know, I'm watching with my wife, Carmen, and I, and he shot like twice in the first minute. I was like, he's going to be aggressive tonight. And Draymond Green had the quote about like, Kevon Looney was trying to go over and give screens. He's like, come on, stop. <laughs> He not passing tonight. Like he says, something's going on. Um, and I mean, he just, he really did kind of want to make a statement to the world about himself. And I think he wanted to let his teammates know, like, no, this is not how this season is going to be. Every time we play good competition, we're not going to get blown out by 20 or so. And that translated into 62 points. I mentioned the free throws. A lot of the free throws last night, he was throwing his body around. That's the one thing Steph as a slider superstar doesn't typically do is go inside right. and kind of bat bash himself for layups. Like, you know, he at one point, I think was in the 40, 50 range and he'd only hit four threes. I mean, usually when we see a step explosion like this, it's like, he might set the three point record. He's up at 12 made threes. How many threes did he hit last night? You said six set or eight by the end. And those were just eight by the end. Yeah. Yeah. He had like 50 something with only like six threes. So this was a different kind of step game and they needed it. It was just full aggression downhill all night. He can't do this a lot, but I think what they learned last night, he needs to be hunting shots at all times for this team to win games. Our uh, our Marcus Thompson had um, had jumped on in that Zoom, and we were going to talk a little bit about that. I mean, the Zoom life is so strange. Uh, you know, and last night, like you kind of alluded to, Slater, you've got dozens upon dozens of media members, and obviously on Zoom you can see, you know, who's there. And, and most people, like honestly, myself, if I don't have specific things I want to get into with whoever's on the Zoom – I'm there to just kind of be in the room and hear what's being said. 
but you got a lot of folks. And so our, our own Marcus Thompson, the, the kind of the esteemed Steph whisperer, um, jumped in and asked Steph about being downhill, uh, being aggressive, attacking in the way that he did. And you're right. So on the one hand, it was Steph being Steph and, and a career high night. On the other hand, doing it differently than we've seen in the past. Yeah, you know, the, the most fun moments in a basketball game that you could possibly see at any point are when somebody kind of breaks the game. You know, it sends either a defense or an offense into usually a defense into some sort of nervous breakdown. And Steph's Steph's induced nervous breakdowns are kind of the most fun induced nervous breakdowns to watch. That game last night had the most fun sequence that I have seen all season in watching any game all year, which was Steph hits a 30 footer. Lillard comes down and hits a 30 footer. Steph comes back and takes another 30 footer. And then Lillard comes back and hits another 30-footer. And, you know, Steph, you know, one of the takeaways I had after watching that game was Steph had had comments after the game. And and sometimes I think these are said just kind of in a cliche fashion. But I hear I hear Beal say this kind of stuff a lot. So it it, it I guess it resonates with me a little bit more just because the guy who I cover the most, I hear say it all the time, which is when you go up against another great player who plays in a similar way that you do and approaches the game in a similar way that you do. I think we can all agree that Lillard, in terms of the shot selection that he has, is the most similar guy to Steph. Maybe Trey Young, but I would say Lillard. And it's not by it, accident either. Yeah. No, it, it yeah. raises you. It, it it and and seeing those two guys respond to each other, like clearly just I'm taking the 30 footer. Okay. Well, you're taking the 30 footer. All right. Well, so am I. Seeing those right. two guys respond to each other was that was freaking awesome. That was amazing to watch. And it was almost symbolic, like not to get too deep with it, but it, my mind went to a place where it's like in this, you know, guys, this goes back to the conversation about Steph's. I mean, legacy is such a cliche word, but there's always going to be that element like Steph's reputation. And so you're talking about a guy who has been to a degree forgotten about because his team fell off. And if you're Damien, you know, if you if you now kind of explore where Damien's psyche is at as a competitor within the NBA context now versus, you know, 2015, 2016, you know, back then Damien was chasing Steph like everybody else. Damien was still, con- you know, he was a star in this league, but he was continuing to grow his own foundation within the league. Now, I mean, Dame has carved out this really one-of-a-kind lane where in Steph's building, to me, that was him saying, no, the days where you are the only dude who puts on this kind of a show are over. I do this, and He's let me shoot Oakland, this too. too. Yeah, that's-, that's the thing too. Yeah, that's the other side of the coin that's so great is that, you know, and Steph would never probably talk at length about that element. But I've wondered before, like, how does Steph feel about, like, Dame being like, you know, <clears throat> the Oakland guy and the guy that like the one thing he, you know, Steph can never claim is that he's actually from there. Uh, and Steph is the beloved son of the Bay Area. So all kinds of layers to this thing. It was yeah. it was a lot of fun to watch. Well, well, what's funny about that is like typically, I mean, you know how fan bases work. You know how protective they are of their superstars. The, the funny thing is the Warriors fan base, the one rival star that they love is Damian Lillard because you know he's right. from Oakland he reps Oakland he wears you know zero but he really wears the O right it's, it's for Oakland um so yeah I mean you could even see the high level of respect post game Steph and Damian had a little conversation because like I said like part of the lead up was this this Damian Lillard quote that got a lot of online traction and and, and Damian even had a tweet like hey if, 
if you give it out, you got to be able to take it. And then right. Sam, I don't know if you were on Draymond's Zoom call, but Draymond, who got a double technical in the game, talking to Lillard, which, by the way, right. I love these baseball series because it gives you the game two of a playoff series feel, right? I mean, there right. was a lot of early trash talk because of what had happened two nights earlier. Um, right. But but Draymond was like, look, Damian Lillard, I'm actually very close to so a lot of these, uh, you know, league relationships are kind of fake sometimes. It's not fake. Um, oh, it's so, real, yeah. Yeah, no. Um, Listen, if Draymond was going <laughs> to, if we were handicapping Draymond trade, loca- you know, destinations, if the Warriors decided to blow it up, you know, like that's the one Damian and his group, have for oh. the last couple of years been campaigning for that. Yeah, oh, they would love that. Uh, it, it, the, and the funny thing from the Warriors is, man, they could probably get a package from Portland because if you got, yeah. you know, Damian Lillard putting some pressure on. But, you know, to flip the, the conversation a little bit, and I mean, Draymond Green w- made that game happen in a lot of ways last night. The return of a vintage Draymond Green. And it's funny, Sam, we're talking about the Zooms. Usually the guy goes for 62, and I'm sure you came on to hear Steph Curry, but. To be honest, I'm like, when's Draymond coming on the Zoom? Because he's always the best quote, particularly when it's an engaged Draymond Green. He was great again in postgame last night, and he had his first good game really in 18 months, um, I would say. And it's funny, he had one point last night, but he was probably the second. He was definitely the second best warrior. Might have been the second best player on the floor with the defense and everything. And then just the the telepathy, whatever you want to say, with uh, Steph Curry. I mean, I don't know how many – of Steph Curry shots he assisted or screened for. Um, but a lot of the reason you saw Steph Curry like that last night is because Draymond Green came back and and made the Warriors feel a little bit more Warriors-like last night, which is the way he operates with Steph on the court. I mean, the defensive side of the ball, uh, and they featured some of it on the telecast, you know, you got reminded who Draymond is as a defender. There was, you know, one play, I forget who, he stopped someone in the lane and he just got to the spot you know, perfectly. And, and it opened up Ubre for a weak side block. And it's the kind of Nurkic. stuff where there's a, re- yeah, it was Nurkic. He killed and, Nurkic last night. He took yeah, Nurkic out yeah. of the game last night. Right. And so and now Fred, I, I know that Draymond had one point because the, the other fun part uh, or entertaining part of the zoom experience is you kind of get to see, especially the, the beat writers who are doing this every day, the way they function. Uh, and so Slater, I, I was, you know, uh, kind of grinning when I saw the way you were working because Slater kept asking every, almost every guy who came on about Draymond, but the way he framed the question was, you know, hey, listen, Draymond had one point, but, you know, what else did he give you? And, and emphasizing the fact that that one point had said nothing about his evening, and, and you got a bunch of good stuff from that. He has one point this season, by the way. That was his <laughs> first point this season. Wow. It's a special point. It's it was fun to, to watch. Uh, like I said, we've seen that act before. But where do you guys think this is going? Um, you know, one off or the beginning of kind of a Warriors uh, identity forming to where they could be a, a halfway decent team. Well, I, I'm still really worried about their their shooting in general. Like they they still are missing a lot on that front. And Draymond is going to help a lot with shot creation. And I I think even having him on the floor, even though he's not a shooter himself, I mean, we saw it so much last night with his distribution abilities and how he's able to create these really great looks for other guys. That's going to help them get better quality looks, no question. The quality of their shooters, I think, is still lacking enough to where I don't think they're really a top tier guy unless Steph is just able to completely go off like that all the time, Uh, which I mean, look, Steph is a lot better than he showed in those first five or six games. I mean, there's no question about that. He still has this unbelievable shooting ability. And, and by the way, 
he had 62 and he's still making those right plays all the way through. I mean, he's still, you know, at the end of the game when he's sitting on, what was it? 56 or something. He's still finding, finding Wiggins in the corner to try to put away ice, you know, ice shots and that kind of stuff. So, so I think they're pretty solid. I, I feel like they're still certainly in the play-in conversation, but I, I mean, there, there's talk, you know, how high could they climb? Could they get to the five seed, get to the four seed? I just think the West is too, I think the West is too tough to be talking about them in that stratosphere unless they're able to, you know, add some sort of three-point shooting to the guys around Steph and Draymond. Yeah, I, right. uh, you know, I targeted the six seed, seven seed range for them preseason, really the six seed, because I think it's such a distinction point. You get out of the play and you probably avoid the L.A. teams. Um, and really, in the first five games, they look like a lottery team. Right. It suddenly was like, can they even get to the 10 to get in the playoff or in the play? And um, but what we're starting to see is what, you know, the coaches and the people behind the scenes were saying, wait for it. Um, and the wait for it was Draymond Green. You know, can Draymond Green get back to Draymond Green? And you saw what that just did to the entire operation last night when when he's playing like that. Now, is that, you know, uh, an aging vet throwing his fastball once every seven games? Or is that something that he can do, you know, three out of every five games? Um, Because if he's that last night, they're in the Portland Trailblazers tier. Um, And then the other thing is the center, James Wiseman, is growing by the game. I mean, I, I, Sam, I don't know how much you've watched him last night. He had three dunks in the third quarter. I mean, like his dunk radius is absurd and what he can kind of do to the offense. And Draymond threw him a lob last night that nobody, before Draymond was there, people weren't seeing. So, that, you know, Draymond will help the rookie center as he grows. Um, and then Ubre two of 30 from three right now. <laughs> I mean, it's Ooh, just wee. getting... Yeah, it's getting ridiculous. Um, and he's not that. That's Luca so that territory. Is, yeah, uh, which we can get to later in the podcast. Um, Wiggins is playing a lot better than he did the first few games. It's kind of the quiet thing going on because Andrew Wiggins is so quiet, but he's really stabilized. He's playing good defense. He has a post-up game. He had 21 last night. Nobody's even talking about it. Um, he had 27 in a, in a win against Detroit, including 17 in the fourth. So, And they're just long and active defensively. I don't know if you kind of noticed that last night, but when they go Wiseman with the nine foot six standing reach, Wiggins, Ubre, Draymond, you know, deflecting, um, that's the top ten defense. Steve Kerr said he thought they could beat. Now they were basically the worst defense in basketball until that game last night. Um, So again, that what we saw last night. If they do that somewhat regularly, sure that they're in a five six seed conversation. But again, that's dependent on health. That's dependent on you know. an aggressive Steph Curry, and it's probably dependent on Kelly Oubre at least hitting a few of the shots because man, defenses are really giving him these shots right now. So these uh, these two topics came about very organically. It just so happens that we had the the two beat writers from these two teams on. Let's go to topic number two. Um, I have been admittedly very James Harden obsessed centric over the past couple of weeks, even beyond a month, and with very good reason. He's been front and center around the league not only for the drama in Houston, but as the the best player who's widely known to be on the market. But not everybody can make a move for James Harden. Maybe he doesn't get moved at all. Um, and, and number two on that list of guys that that executives around the league talk about and that, you know, where everybody's monitoring uh, Washington and how this Russell Westbrook experiment goes is Bradley Beal. Now, now, Fred, we've been talking about Brad for years. Where is his head at? Uh, you know, with the Wizards, you know, the John Wall situation just was kind of just ebb and flow for years and years and years. And now um, they get out the gate incredibly slowly. And, you know, I watched that game very closely last night against Brooklyn. And and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, 
not only we're going to get into the trade stuff, but I mean, watching Russell Westbrook not be quote unquote, the man on a team is really strange to me. And it feels like Bradley Beal from a body language, you know, standpoint, I know I'm, I'm going a little deep here is that you see these guys trying to figure out each other's space and then late game situations, you know, Brad seemed to be a little hesitant to throw the ball Russ's way. Um, and so it makes you wonder where's Brad's head at? How do the Wizards see his situation? Uh, because we know that that his market would be incredibly robust, is incredibly robust, and, and he's a guy that a lot of teams would like to have. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll start off this conversation by saying the big difference between the James Harden situation and the Bradley Beal situation is that James Harden actively wants out, and right. the Rockets are, I guess, at the very least open to him actively wanting out, while Bradley Beal does not actively want out, and the Wizards don't at all have him on the market. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Every single time anybody has called about Bradley Beal, they've rebuffed it and said, there is no way you're going to get Bradley Beal. So so I think that's the first thing that we have to say when we have this conversation, because uh, all I'm trying to do is avoid getting phone calls and saying, why are you spreading crap? <laughs> Tommy Shepard, line one. After yeah. a big win, too, Fred. After a big win. That, okay. I get, give them their love. They they beat Brooklyn. Uh, they survived. Westbrook, had, he had a great impact on the game in different moments, but I did tweet about his absurd oh. three-pointer late that was what just... A- yeah. What a finish for us last night. And by the <laughs> way, Fred, what I mean, I know you're covering it from a Wizards perspective, but you know, I had it on. It was the NBA TV lead up game to the Warriors game, too. And I was like, man, this is some this is a throwback for me. It was like Russ going at KD in the post. Yes. Scott Brooks is over there, super yeah. stressed out. I was like, what is going on right now? <laughs> it's, KD, it's, KD it's had amazing. his way with Russ late. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, Russ with Russ, it's I, we're diverging from the topic for a second because with no, Russ, you don't. Russ is amazing to watch right now because he's just knocking to the rim, and like so much of the Beal conversation has to do with Russ, right? And and with Russ, I mean, you mentioned the three. He's he's always gonna take the the long crazy momentum three. Like that is that is part of the fabric that makes up Russell Westbrook. But another thing that's part of the fabric of what makes him up and has for his whole career is just his general ferocity and his ability to attack. And he's going to, he's going to take the mid range shots and he's going to take the long threes. And that's just part of who he is, but not at the rate that he's been doing now. I mean, a, a ridiculously large percentage of his shots have been from the mid range. He got to the line 12 times last night. The wizards were trying to post him up and find new ways to get him to the line and all that. But like, He's not driving by his man anymore, whether you give him a screen or not. And and it's um, it, at least through seven games, it's been kind of jarring to watch uh, because, it, you know, it's one thing to see a guy slowly lose a step. But but the fact that he's not getting to the rim anymore, like, I think it's reason to at least wonder, like, how how do the Wizards fix this? Because if he's not getting to the rim he's not going to be able to take the 20 shots a game that he's taking right now. Like that, that has to come down while wall on the ripple effect Houston while walls. That's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. I'm not, Fred, what does that mean? So let's, you know, we're allowed to, to get a little bit loose here on the old podcast and, and just do hypothetical stuff. So if, if Russ and Brad are not a good combo, and yes, they're coming off two good wins after starting 0-5, but if it doesn't work, you know, and you know Brad very well, and, and I hear you on the fact that he's not saying that he actively wants out right now. Um, if I, Just from a human standpoint, you have to imagine that he's going to be looking at the landscape going, man, I was patient with John and that that mix. You know, they 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 lock up Davis Bertans in the offseason. They do some other things. And this group just isn't working. I don't see another big move on the horizon. So where does it go from there? Yeah, so here's my read of the situation. Brad is a crazy competitive guy. I mean, he's a real competitor. And he also believes that winning in D.C. is better than winning elsewhere. I think all things being equal, he would rather win in D.C. than win in another place. I think he he thinks that means more. Kind of a kind of a similar sentiment to what Damian Lillard has said in Portland. He believes winning with that one organization that you fought through adversity through to finally win something, that means more than going to another place and and getting a title as a second fiddle or a third fiddle. I think that's admirable, uh, but I don't think he'd rather lose in D.C. than win elsewhere. Uh, and right now, they've looked better the last two games. They they killed Minnesota. Uh, they they kind of look like what they were supposed to against Brooklyn, which is a really high-powered offense. You know, we talked about the rough struggles, but the offense has been good. I mean, they're scoring pretty well. Uh, you know, Bertans has struggled too. But they're they're figuring out ways to score. Thomas Bryant has been one of the most efficient offensive centers in the league. I mean, he's scoring from everywhere imaginable. Um, they've got they've got pretty good uh, scoring around the basket, and the fact that the shooting isn't all the way there with some of their main guys. Beal's not really hitting his threes. Bertans doesn't look like himself. Westbrook's been jacking up these shots, and the offense is still look good. I think is actually reason for encouragement. But if they don't end up winning, and I, I don't know. Yeah, Fred, what? Can I, can I ask yeah. you something? Um, what's winning? You know, for them? that's exactly be, what I was going to get at. Yeah, be, because I could see them in the playing game. I could see them winning a playing game. I could see them getting into the first round of a playoffs. Sure, let's say they take the the Sixers to five games. Oh, they take them to six games. They're not getting out of the first round in the East. I think we all understand that. Um, and if you're not getting out of the first round, number one is that okay to Bradley Beal? Uh, and number two, is that the right path the organization wants to take? Because Think of, you know, this is not, this group is not going to become a title team, right? But Bradley Beal could maybe fetch you two pieces for the next era's title team, you know, or, you know, contending team, we'll say. Um, so what's, how about that? Like, what's winning? So, so the organization's perspective is they want to do what it takes to keep Beal. They think of him as a franchise piece. He averaged 31 a game last year. He's averaging 30 again this year. They think of him as a franchise piece who they want to build around and they want to do what they can to keep him. Uh, and that's and that's it. And he's 27 years old. So I think they do view him as a guy like, 
hey, you want the franchise? Go out and get us another guy. Like, go make it happen. I think they also have a lot of faith in in Hachimura and, and Avdia developing into really good players as well. And and to their credit, Hachimura looks better this year. And Avdia looks like a real player. So I think if if their thinking is, if we just find a way to keep Beal, he can go out and get us another guy potentially. And some of these young guys end up becoming what we hope they can become. We have something good down the line. But first step to that is actually keeping Beal. So as for what's winning, I don't really know what he defines winning as. I don't know if he has a, I don't even know if he has a threshold in mind. Okay, you have to win this number of games or you have to get to the conference finals or win a playoff series or just show progression. I, Knowing Brad and conversations I've had with Brad about just kind of where his head is at before, he's he's really a feel guy. Like, He's he's not a guy who's sitting there saying, okay, 44 wins, that's great. Or 44 wins isn't good enough, but 48 wins is fantastic. He, he's not the kind of guy who draws that sort of line. I think he's more of a get to the offseason, evaluate where my head is at, and see how I feel, and then make that decision based off of, off of how I feel in that situation, especially because he tends to be really optimistic about their team every single year. And then at the end of the year, if they don't necessarily meet that goal, which by the way, he's won, like they've won three playoff series. But for example, last year, he came into the year basically telling all of us, no, we are going to be much better than you think. And he really, truly believed it. It was not lip service. He ended up not being correct in that. At the end of the year, he talked about like, yeah, I was I was kind of naive to it. I looked at it through rose rose colored glasses. Like it didn't it didn't look the way that I thought it was going to look. And I think he he has a ha- he's a very optimistic person. He has a habit of doing that. Uh, so I think for him, it's more of a feel thing. Like I could see a scenario where they show great progression, him and Russ mesh, and something happens. Uh, where it doesn't quite work out, they lose in the first round, and Beal says, you know what, this is positive progression, I'm feeling great, let's keep this thing moving forward. And I could see a scenario where like, they just show that they don't have enough, and Russ looks like he's seriously deteriorating, but they happen to pull off an upset in the playoff series because Brad just you know goes off and wins him a series himself, and he says, eh, this isn't sustainable, this isn't for me. I want to go win elsewhere. So like I I don't know exactly how it's going to look if he were to, if he were to decide to stay and I wouldn't know how it was going to look if he were to decide to go. But he does say you, that he wants to win now. Am I hearing you correctly though Fred that I mean you're you're framing it as if it's it's a far off thing and there's no chance in hell that anything deadline. changes before the trade deadline. Yeah. I I'm going to guess. I think it's more likely that if they trade him they trade him next offseason than at the deadline. I think it's more okay. likely because and in and, and your converse, sorry to cut you off. I, I want to drill down on your, your Intel here. Uh, you mentioned the word feel. So two quick questions, what you know, Bradley very well, and certainly without compromising any trust with him, like what do you think about how he feels about Ted Leonsis and Tommy Shepard? Cause I've been around these situations where, you know, the way that the player views the organization matters a great deal. If you look around and you think, how did I wind up in this in this shithole? Then and you don't trust the people there. That's going to play a part. Um, and then also just in those conversations, it's one thing for teams to want Bradley, but if you had to handicap one or two teams where where you've looked at their assets and their players and their rosters and said, oh, they could probably get the Wizards' attention. You know who who might come to mind? Yeah, I I think 
I think the respect is there with him in the organization. Because, look, he didn't have to sign an extension. He he could have... He wouldn't have even had to have forced his way out. He could have just said, nah, I'm not going to sign the extension. I'll hit free agency and we'll talk then. The organization would have said, oh no, now we might actually have to trade him. Everything that he's been telling them is that he's down to stay as long as they find a way to put a winning team around him. So, I mean, you guys know how this league works. I mean, they, guys guys change their minds and uh, or, or, or things don't necessarily work out. And there's not always a bad guy in these situations. Bradley Beal's a competitive guy. He wants to win. The Wizards aren't able to put a competitive team around him. He wants to go somewhere else. That's how these things tend to work. Um, but I, I I do think there's a world where Beal doesn't explicitly tell them I went out before the deadline. And I think in that world, I don't know if the Wizards trade him. Like I just, my read on the organization is I don't think the Wizards are trading him unless it just goes absolutely completely downhill and they have no chance at a play in. And remember, this is an organization that- Well, and that's 0-5, that's what we were thinking. I mean, if yeah. 0-5 became 0-10, then, then what's it looking like? And yeah. East is East is looking better than than I think we all kind of thought coming into the year. We'll see. I mean, ten, the fact that they've stretched this playoff spot all the way down to ten now, though, right? Like, well, th- that's kind of what it is. This is hope. this is an organization that's historically been like, yeah, let's go for the eight seed. So now that it's the ten seed, you know, it's like that's you could be at so gross. The East you could be at twelve. Seed, you know, you could be at number twelve and be like, yeah, we're two spots out. You could be. I mean, conceivably, how far. That's why I'm I'm trying not to really overreact to to the 0 and 5, which is now 2 and 5, and they have a really tough schedule coming up, so it could still completely fall. But the reason I'm not necessarily trying to overreact is not because I think this team is all of a sudden going to win eight out of nine and jump all the way to the five seed because I didn't think that coming in. I thought they were kind of a playing candidate coming into the year, but because if if they're at number 11 and and moves that they've made have said. You know, they went 25 and 47 last year and spent the offseason saying, we want to try to win next year. We feel like we're ready to win. We feel like we're ready to compete and make the playoffs. And they've historically chased an eight seed. So so I I just I don't see them giving up on the hopes of Beal coming back unless Beal told them, yeah, guys, it's it's not going to happen. I'm going to be leaving. Sam. Sam All right. So. I was going to yes. say, should, should we go down the, the, the hypothetical path, though, if he becomes available? Because the Wizards could really get a package for him. You know, it, in my opinion, from the outside looking in, if I'm a, like a Denver or a team who feels like you're one piece away and you're in a rush to win now, I'd rather yeah. have Harden. But it, but if you're any other team that's like, hey, look, if we brought James Harden, we might not win the title. Then we got to pay James Harden absurd money moving forward. I'd rather have Beal, right? He's in a more appealing. I mean, you got to pay Beal too. They got the same contract. You do. Um, but one's, how old yeah. is Beal compared to? It's like 31 compared to like 27. I'm, I'm just looking at it. For, like, Beal's 27. Look, purely okay. from the yeah. Warriors perspective, and the Warriors have some assets, right? The Wolves pick and the Wolves might be a bottom five team. Their own pick and who knows? They might be lottery bound and Wiseman now. They would rather have Beal um just from the outside looking in because of the age you know you're trying to get the guy that's growing into the oh yeah there. i mean that's a whole pod unto itself right because then it becomes like that emotional tie that the warriors have to clay thompson and that idea that 
would they ever part ways with him? Because I, I he would fit in incredibly well with that Warriors group. Well, yeah, and but I think there's other teams out there like that. I know Fred, and we can get into the Pelicans. My point oh, is, yeah. there's a there's a lot of teams out there that would go. I don't know if we want to get in on the Harden sweepstakes because of everything around it, and I don't know if we'd even win a title if he came here immediately. Where they'd say, "How about Bradley Beal?" Oh yeah, you know, let's start talking about yeah. the packets. So well, and. Fred was going to talk. I mean, Fred, jump into the Pelicans, and we're going to we're yeah. on the clock here. Fred's got Zoom uh, availability coming up, the the Zoom life that we're all living, and and we want to get around the league a little bit more. But within that Bradley Beal context, the Pelicans are a team that that it's funny because they're like the the most you know everybody's crushing them right now. I think they're four and two, and so the record's not terrible, but folks are generally down on how they've played. And Dave Griffin, to me, their their GM, obviously previously from Cleveland and Phoenix and a guy who's, who's got a lot of respect, but also uh, very shrewd. And so like Slater, to your point, I, I agree with you that he would see Beal in that kind of a light as a as much more attractive option than a Harden who's going to come in and, and be a culture changer, come in and be, you know, he's going to take a lot of oxygen out of that room. Um, so Fred, how do you see the Pelicans in general? And then, and then uh, touch on the Beal part as well. Yeah. Yeah. So what, so what I think is, well, first of all, with any Beal market, for with Harden, he still has two years left. I mean, we're talking about Beal now at the deadline or potentially next summer, right? So if if we're talking about Beal in that context, I mean, one of the really big conversations is what are the chances we have of re-signing this guy if you're on a team? And the Pelicans, to me, are just so interesting in that sense because if they end up trading for him at the deadline or trading for him next summer, uh, or at least in negotiations to do so, like that is not an organization that historically is resigning its guys, but but if they're ahead of schedule, if they end up ahead of schedule, and the reason I think they're so interesting is because Ingram looks not just because the picks they have. I think Ingram looks really good. Ingram looks really good. Like he looks better than he did last year. He's perennial shooting the heck out of the ball. He looks like mm-hmm. a perennial all star. He's shooting the hell out of the ball, and also like I, I want to say it was his second year when Lonzo got hurt as a rookie and Ingram basically ended up playing point guard for the Lakers. And, and you really started to see, I think that was such a valuable time for him because in those, in those, however many games that Lonzo was out, you really started to see his pick and roll skills develop. And people talk about how he really developed once he was able to like get away from LeBron and, and all of that. Uh, to me, that year before LeBron came, we really saw unbelievable development from him as a facilitator, a ball handler, decision maker. And and that's just been accelerating at such an incredible degree. Like he is still really young and looks really great. And I'm intrigued by the Pelicans now as a candidate because number one, they got Ingram locked up. And are they able to work out a deal for Beal if they want to without giving up Ingram? And now you can put Ingram and Beal and Zion potentially together? Or are they able to just not give away those kinds of picks and say, you know what, what about an Ingram for Beal type of thing? Um, and and there are just so many possible constructions uh, of what that team is able to do because they have those Milwaukee picks, which are far out into the future. But hey, those Milwaukee picks are more valuable if they're far out into the future than they are if they're tomorrow, right? Because we know Milwaukee is going to be really good tomorrow. They um, became they became less valuable the moment Giannis signed the Supermax, though. Sure, sure, for sure. I mean, those Lakers picks are not, you know, unbelievably high-quality picks, too, because, you know, LeBron is extended and AD is back for a while. Um, but that's kind of why I think, you know, Ingram really being that good is really interesting. And New Orleans still, like, 
with those picks that they have, if you're able to put something together, they've got some other quality young players. You still have Lonzo on that roster. Like I am, I find them incredibly intriguing. I think they have to be ahead of schedule in order to really be a viable candidate for that. If they end up winning 48% of their games this year, then that's not a deal that you make. But if you're ahead of schedule, like that, that's a that's a destination to me that would kind of make sense if the Wizards ended up either seriously underperforming or Beal decided he didn't want to be there anymore. Good stuff. All right, Slater, we didn't workshop uh, your selection here. I'm hoping you don't pick my team. Who who got your attention? Because these first couple of weeks have been just all over the map. You got you know Philly playing good ball, the Lakers looking good. Uh, what what direction are you trying to go? Philly's the only one lost team in basketball. I'm looking at the standings right now. I don't want to go there. I, th- I figure Sam's probably going east because Sam Amick has developed. I wasn't. Eastern I, I, I'm Conference. going west. Uh oh. <laughs> Are you? Oh, that's not good. Um, yeah. I kind of want to go Dallas a little bit. Okay, we're safe. We're safe. Okay. okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, you kind of somewhat alluded to it when I was talking about Ubre's two for thirty, and right now Ubre is the worst three point shooter in the league, two of thirty six percent. Um, but of the 145 guys who have taken at least 23s, Luka Doncic is the fourth worst right now, behind only Ubre, Gary Harris, and Aaron Gordon. Luka Doncic is five of 31 from three. Um, you know, we talked about MVP buzz coming into the season. They're two and four. Um, they should get Porzingis back soon, and it'll help. Um, but you know, that they just don't look that good right now. Um, and most of that is because Doncic doesn't look like the Doncic we saw in the playoffs. And and that will change. He won't shoot this poorly from three. Um, but I don't know. That's kind of been interesting to me so far. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. I know I'm looking outside right now. Sun's out. Birds are chirping. It's time to start getting outside. Uh, I know that I like to get outside and play basketball with my kids. And honestly, I need to get into a fitness routine in order to keep up with these guys. And Peloton is there for me. Peloton's varying class links were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout, whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class, or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals. Peloton's classes were made to challenge you. There are a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, full body strength, or marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you're already excelling in. Peloton's program and instruction push you to be your best. Their expert coaches and nonstop vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run indoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Oh, for sure. I mean, not a lot. here's what I've thought about Luca is that, again, living near Sacramento, one thing that, you know, lately the Kings are making the wrong kind of noise again, the Marvin Bagley situation that I'll probably look into later in this week. But, like, teams like the Kings, uh, I guarantee you they're enjoying not having, at least for the moment, the backdrop of the Luca hype uh, being so much in their face. You look at Atlanta and I think it's kind of funny how, again, sh- small sample size, but you know, the Hawks are the talk of the East. They're one of the teams that are the talk of the East and, and Trey young looks like he's really capable of functioning at a high level within that more talented roster. And, and Trey is another guy who's been hearing the Luca noise 
you know, ever since the Hawks didn't draft Luca. So I've been surprised to see his struggles. Um, and even from a confidence standpoint to hear some of his messaging and kind of hear him sound like a guy who has lost his way a little bit. I, I have no doubts that he's going to find it, but the shot has been a, a, an interesting part of his game at the NBA level since the very beginning, because the percentages have always been low. But I remember talking to to Steven Silas, obviously former Mavericks assistant, now Houston Rockets head coach, about how they would have these film sessions with the Mavs where Steven would consistently be telling Luka, like, you know, that step back three is a bad shot. Can we please cool it with the step back three? And then they learned that even though he was only hitting it at like a 30% clip, it was changing the gravity on the floor and, and defenses were respecting it, even though the numbers kind of indicated they didn't need to. And so Steven essentially had said, okay, we're green lighting that shot because Luke has got this, this hard to kind of, uh, you know, quantify quality that, that he was, it was working within kind of the, uh, the totality of the team, if that makes sense. And that, that element's not there right now. Now it's just, he just can't shoot from long range. Defenses are changing. And again, it's early, but um, I'm with you for sure. I mean, Dallas was a team that even without Porzingis, you know, they were fairly effective last year when, when they didn't have him on the floor. And that's not the case right now. Well, we had this conversation uh, about Steph Curry, you know, and his ability to kind of be the singular offensive force on, you know, uh, could he get them to the sixth seed, the seventh seed? And we should still have that conversation about the Warriors and Steph Curry who've had bad moments early in the season. But there was less of that conversation about Luka uh, and the Mavericks, right? There was It felt like more right. of a sure thing they're going to make the playoffs. He's definitely going to be in the MVP race. Um, and I'm not jumping to any conclusions after six games, but it's kind of a flawed roster whose superstar that's supposed to carry them to the playoffs is not playing well early in the season. And I, I don't know. It's a tiny alarm bell. I don't know where, where you guys are at. I, I'm with you. When I'm looking at his line right now, I mean, the, the playmaking also gets your attention. You're t- Again, it's early, but you're talking about a drop-off of about two and a half assists per game. And that, you know, this is a guy that averaged almost 29, uh, nine and almost 10 last year. You're, you're flirting with a triple double for the entire season. Now he's down at 24, about eight boards and six and a half assists. So the Luca watch is definitely on. Uh, I am going to go ahead and stay East since we're, we're getting near the buzzer I, here. With I have, I have a follow up, Sam. I, I yes, want to, I want to get, and we're not getting to the buzzer. I'll, I'll, I'll be fine. I think they're going to be late okay. anyway. Uh, but I have a follow up for you, Sam, because I know you, you, you're you're very in on this. But how how much? I mean, you mentioned Stephen Silas. How how much of the Mavs' offense, which has just been down in general, I think they're averaging like they're they're like twentieth in points per possession after setting the record last year for the best, you know, the most efficient offense ever. How much of this do you think has to do with them them kind of losing that assistant coach who so many people credited with uh, you know running such a great offense last year? It's always hard to, I mean, this is what kind of the plight of assistant coaches in general, right? Is that it's really hard to figure out who deserves credit for what. Um, now, Steven, I'll say this. I've generally, I've known him for, you know, a, a decent amount since his Warriors days when he was an assistant coach with the Warriors. He's an incredibly humble human being, right? And I only say that because I've also noticed during his short Rockets time that he hasn't really been bashful occasionally mentioning in media sessions with Houston media that he was for all intents and purposes, the offensive coordinator in Dallas, he hasn't shied away from that reality that he was the one pulling the strings. And so considering, I don't think Steven is a, a boastful person. Uh, I'm a hundred. I mean, that's all I ever heard was that he was running the offense and we are seeing, you know, the ripple effect in Dallas without him. So 
I don't know exactly how much to put on that, but that's a factor. And, and you're right, Fred. They uh, the Mavs are now 19th in offensive rating after, like you said, they they literally broke the league record for offensive rating last year. Houston, meanwhile, you know Stevens' new team is coming in at 12th, which all things considered, offensively, when you you go, you know, James Harden's in and out, John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, in and out. They have had a complete kind of hodgepodge roster. Um, you know, Silas is offensively doing some good things in Houston right now. So I think that matters. I mean, we could talk all day about the other factors that you're seeing, I think, varying effects on players uh, of this different environment, these big cavernous arenas where – um, the, the mood of the moment is so much different. The Warriors, it's funny, Slater, um, I noticed for the first time, like Fred, I think you've probably seen this too, the Warriors have the bubble thing going uh, in San Francisco where they have the, the virtual fan. fans. The dub yeah, hub. The, the dub But I'll be honest, I'm digging it Sorry. because <laughs> <laughs> there's our, there's our uh, teaser cut right I there. I am the branding. Oh, man. Sorry. <laughs> Could you sing it a little more? Dub hub. <laughs> but like they had that in the bubble um and it, it it kind of at least gave you a mental uh you know feeling of people watching the game and and i actually think that it's a good move so who knows where luca's head is at what exactly is going on uh who knows if it's conditioning because the the weird off season that, that happened um so no we'll see but i think you know the the steven silas factor um uh, fred is is that's a good point right there can I can so, I can I throw yes. out since since I only mentioned one can can I can I backtrack for a second can I completely throw the pot off the rails and crumple up the outline and and uh, throw out Sam's two more still got a team two more teams Fred wow I, that's all right Fred's gonna go up to nothing Fred's just taking over I like this the confidence this is, he got the confidence that Luca doesn't have he's feeling himself right no, this no. is uh, Fred's, th- Fred's throwing a step back three we'll just see if he uh hits. <laughs> this is this is my podcast now actually Sam so I appreciate you taking the risk uh no I wanted I wanted to throw Cats. out I wanted to throw out a, a couple more Beale destinations and just get your guys like rapid hitting reaction to what you would think of that. Okay, rapid um, rapid fire. Go. Okay, we're going to wrap. How how likely do you think some something like like Portland is, Sam? Portland uh if I mean with like a CJ like a CJ McCollum type of thing. Yeah, I don't see it. No, I don't I I I definitely don't see it. I think that the Blazers view of CJ is, you know, is is on par I would imagine with Bradley and then the Damien friendship. Now I know, you know, this is not junior high or high school friendships only matter so much, but the connection between those guys matters. I also think it matters that CJ has decided apparently to join the modern NBA and start shooting threes. And that's only going to help him. You know, I mean, he's shooting around 11 a game at a, a very high clip. Um, so CJ to me, I, I doubt he would do it. I would love to have CJ, on the pod and talk openly about like, all right, how much of the way you're playing is like, you look over one shoulder and it's James Harden. You look over the other shoulder and it's Bradley Beal. Like I feel like CJ's playing like a guy that, that needs to uh, protect his turf right now. He's been great this year. He's been, he's been killer. And he's by the way, Sam, he's not just taking those threes. He's hitting those threes. Like right. he has been killer this year. 
I don't really like that package from Washington's perspective where it's like you're trading a, a Bradley Beal for a same age, you know, same category Bradley Beal. I would say lower, but, you know, where if I'm Washington, I'm like, give me a Michael Porter package. Give me a, you know, again, to say it, a James Wiseman plus some really good picks package. I want a young package because we're talking about Washington basically would be scrapping the next few years to, to really rebuild. And like, that's where I don't see Portland because Portland doesn't really have much asset. I mean, Gary Trent, but um, you know, I don't know. I don't like their asset base. Yeah, no, I mean, I, look, I'm with you about what I, what I would be doing. I'm, I'm wondering if the wizards try to just extend with the last two years of like a rust deal. And that's what I'm preparing myself for. By the way, a, uh, a bill for a James Harden deal would be the funniest thing of all time. <laughs> if you just we just reunite John Wall and Bradley Beal in Houston and Westbrook and Harden in Washington, it would truly be amazing. The the, the smile on Rafael Stone's face, the uh, the Rockets general manager that that would have gotten uh, quite the trump card. What, there. A, what about uh, the smile on Russell Westbrook's face when when James lands in uh, D.C.? Not a, I don't think he's digging that. I don't think he's digging that. There will not be a smile. Any uh, any other uh, Sam, teams you, you wanted to throw you were in there, supposed friend? To bring a team, Sam. Yeah, Sam, go for it. Go for it, Sam. Uh, we are going to go here. out west, um, and I'm going to you know maybe producer Andrew Select, um, super producer, can cue in some violin music as I sit here and and I lament Sacramento uh, Kings. Kinda, no, the temporary <laughs> loss of of the way we do our jobs. I really want to be around the Clippers right now. I want to go to Clippers games. I want to talk to Clippers people. And I want to learn about what's happening with their team. They're playing pretty well. They're five and two. Um, they, if you, if you take out the one incredibly weird 52, 54 point loss that they had without Kawhi Leonard, uh, why am I forgetting who the hell destroyed them? That was against Dallas. Mavericks, um, yeah. Ironically enough. Yeah. You take that out, and they got one blemish on their record, a loss to Utah, um, <clears throat> but they looked pretty good. Paul George, for the most part, it's so it's such a weird season in general because all these mixed signals. So Paul George that night against Dallas, I thought that was an incredibly embarrassing look for Paul. Like you should be able to to hold things down without Kawhi, uh, you know, against a Mavericks team that, like we've said, is Luca kind of in the misfits, you know, without KP being part of their group. So that was a terrible night at the office for Paul, but otherwise he's been out there playing like an MVP candidate. Um, talked pretty openly in his postgame session last night after they held off against the Suns about hearing some of the noise. It sounded like Devin Booker and Chris Paul were were talking a, a lot of trash to him um, about last year because he had a quote saying that you know that you know for some reason people want to look backwards. Like I'm in a new space now and and I'm focused on the present. He's got a lot to prove. Like. You know, this team is is widely seen with good reason as Kawhi Leonard's squad. Um, if I'm the Clippers, I'm feeling pretty good right now because for one, just from an impact standpoint, Kawhi's not actually playing all that well on the offensive end. Uh, he's shooting, I think, around 40%. Uh, you know, he's not playing at Kawhi levels. Um, but the the part where the violins come in is I just, I want to learn more about how are they functioning within the locker room? What impact is Ty Lue having? There's just certain things you cannot get over Zoom. You need to pull some of these guys aside and say, how are things different? Uh, but they look good right now. Um, Kawhi, <laughs> oh, by the way, speaking of Zoom, I'm, I'm going to have to start jumping on more Clippers Zooms because apparently Kawhi has developed a personality 
which is a, a huge development. He's you talk about trade trade and surge. I saw that quote. Yeah, surge. So surge pops him in the mouth unintentionally. He gets eight stitches, misses a couple games, and uh, and, and and I I saw this after the fact. But yeah, Kawhi said that he surges on the trading block now, and and that's just not the kind of humor that you ever get from Kawhi. Um, you know, they were joking about how they uh, they nicknamed Kawhi Leatherface because of the mask he was wearing, where he looks like Hannibal Lecter. Um, or the Texas Chainsaw Massacre guy. So they just, because I've written so much with Clippers beat writer, Jovan Buha, or now Lakers writer, but previously Clippers, we've written a lot about the chemistry and about the human part of that team. And it seems like it's changing. And if it's changing and they learn the hard way through getting, you know, um, punked in the playoffs and having LeBron out there talking about how, you know, man, the Clippers, they talked a lot of mess and, and they didn't follow through. If the Clippers kind of personality and fabric is changing then you know maybe ultimately slater's uh prediction of them winning the whole thing you know might actually turn out here Girl. <laughs> uh they, they have so much shooting they have so much shooting right now if if batum is like if he's a real uh, contributor and this is not a two-game aberration because man he looked so bad last year like, what are the hornets was, thinking man we were paying you 27 million to do nothing they stretched him too like <laughs> yeah. like they stretched him it's not even like they just dumped him if they dumped him that's fine he's still making all that money like they stretched him they're paying nine million dollars a year over the next three years and I, I mean, it's two weeks. I'm not necessarily ready to say, like, Batum is back. But, like, he's he's been good. Like, he's been really helpful. He's hitting all of his threes. He's looked pretty mobile, which was a big thing. Like, he just didn't look like he could move last year. And now he's been pretty mobile for them. He's been helpful. Everyone on that team is shooting right now. Paul George is hitting threes like he did a couple of years ago, which is just an out—I mean, at an outrageous clip—and he's taking nine or ten a game. I mean, they—they—they they, they are really able to spread, and they are unbelievably versatile defensively. Like, like Sam, like you said, like for them, it's just—it's yeah, Paul's it's, shooting, I guess the mentality. I mean, we'll see though, because then you see the Dallas game, and it's like, what the hell was the mentality that night? Uh, I so know. I, I don't it's, know what to think. Everyone's having defense, these. Too. Everyone's having these type of weird games this year, though, man. These, I get it, but that's stores. a historic yes, game. It was. That's a, it was. It was. That's a. That's a. That I'm. If I. If I'm having that game, and I'm Paul George, like I'm taking PTO for the next week and and trying to hit the reset button. At some point, though, like one of us has got to look into just the frequency of blowouts. There. Yeah. I'm 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 looking at this purely from scrolling through the scores every night, but it certainly seems like there are a lot more games decided by 20 plus points this year than any other year. So Paul George shooting 49.2% from long range, I guess just to, at the end of the Clippers segment here to th- put a few stats on it. Um, what's funny is they're fifth in the league in offensive rating, but the defense is not uh, the top five level that it was last year. They're down at 21. So, I mean, to be five and two and have room for improvement and, 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 you know, Again, just that Jazz loss being kind of the only "quote unquote" legitimate loss of the season. Uh, Clippers looking pretty good. Paul George leads the league in made threes right now. Thirty made threes. Yeah. That's two more than McCollum, who you mentioned, who's second. Steph is at twenty six made threes. He's third. Um, yeah, I mean, like if he's gonna shoot, like I mean, he's not gonna shoot forty nine percent obviously all year, but he's been their best player. He's fifty forty ninety club as of uh, through seven games, um, and. Yeah, they've been good without Kawhi Leonard being good. Like you said, Kawhi Leonard is kind of a little disengaged. I guess that's what happens when you just get 
gashed in, in, Pops. in your mouth. Yeah. They got uh, four guys. Uh, shout out John Hollinger because it's his stat uh, that they still use on the ESPN site. Uh, they got four guys with 20-plus PER ratings on the Clippers, which you do not see very often with Paul, Kawhi, uh, Mr. Ibaka, and Zubats. So some good role play. Lou Williams doing his thing. Um, but again, like I said, I, I really, really want to – I would like to know more about how Ty Lue is handling all this stuff because for as much as you know, Doc Rivers' resume speaks for itself and, and he's obviously off to a good start in Philly, um, I did feel at different times like, you know, Doc, I don't know if it was partly the product of him being in that Clippers position for quite some time where like his style with the Clippers team last year was, you know, that if there are different chemistry issues here and there, um, if you don't kind of put gas on that fire, uh, the fire is going to go out. I'm going to keep it moving. I'm going to not practice very much. I'm not going to do shoot arounds. You know, what does Kawhi want to do today? We're going to kind of bend that way. It was like a, uh, I don't know what the word is. It was a not disengaged, but it was a kind of a, you know, trying to be Gumby and, and flex your way through all these different internal issues that ultimately bit them in the backside. And, and I, I think Ty, from what I've read, what I've heard out of him is trying to take it differently and be proactive and, and to attack these things. And we'll see if it works. Crazy. That's yeah, my crazy. team guys. Well, <laughs> we were giving you a chance to take it yeah. out, Sam. Uh, all right. Yeah. There we, uh, Fred, you got, you got 19 more Beal teams you want to get into? <laughs> there are 19 more teams. So I think there, so, should, yeah. be, right. there should be, 20, could, there should be 29 teams. If he's on the market, that guy yeah. is really fair good. enough. Yeah. Which, right, Wichita State, we, uh, uh, you could send right. them to, uh, you know, Oak Hill Academy. You could send them all over. The G League elites. There you go. Okay. Before we go and thank you as always to our, our loyal listeners. Uh, it has been really fun just kind of getting into this chop it up mode with, with Slater and Fred these past few weeks, we're going to keep doing it. Uh, the homework for me guys, uh, going forward, since I keep kind of alluding to the zoom sessions, uh, th this is the weird reality we're in right now. So as you do zooms this week, because I'm not doing them as prolifically as you, and I'm not asking as many questions just because I, I move a little bit differently. I want you to come back next week with like your zoom highlights and low lights. I want to know something funny that happened and, and don't spare anybody's ego. Uh, if anybody got caught, you know, eating a chicken strip and having ketchup on their face while talking to Steph Curry, even if it's used later, I want to hear about it. Um, because I keep seeing these random little things that, the, the fans and the readers and listeners are never going to uh, to be able to enjoy like we do. So make sure you, you got your radar up for that. I'm going to now like scroll through the top row and, and only watch the journalists <laughs> videos when they think nobody's watching. Not even you know what, impresses, what impresses me is the people. So I'm very much like a let me turn my video off because I don't want you in my space. I'm doing stuff. Uh, I might rub my face. I might do whatever I might you know, take a sip of my drink. I don't need you seeing how I live until it's time to talk. But there are people who clearly have more Zen than me who sit there um, without moving, staring at that screen for 20, 25, 30 minutes, waiting for these people to come talk. And I, and I don't understand those human beings and I don't relate to them, but I do get a kick out of watching them. I'm only a camera on guy when I'm asking a question. That's it. That's uh, the preferred. 
Like, and then you, I mean, then you brought everything to a halt last night. I mean, what was that question you asked when, uh, when, when you lost Draymond? That was yeah. I asked Draymond. <laughs> so I think I was talking Record about like scratch. his, um, you know, impact on Wiseman defensively being there for Wiseman and like right when, literally right when I ended my question, er. it went beep and it says signal lost. <laughs> and then everybody jumps in blaming you for it. Yeah. Well. It All right, guys. Appreciate you. Good stuff as always. And, uh, and we'll talk to you next week.